Hi-Fi with Jesse Mercury, a show about the communal experience of loving science fiction. I had the most incredible dream a couple nights ago. I was at a hair salon, I think, but it was also a skate shop, and they were selling hoverboards, and I was like, oh, I'm sure this is bullshit. I'm sure these don't work. So I picked up one that was kind of neon-colored, obviously trying to look like the one from Back to the Future. I went down to the parking garage of this salon slash skate shop, uh, underground and rode around on a hoverboard and it was legit <laughs> it was so great uh, I was like right I was like traveling across the ground and then I'd kind of like pull up and and bounce off the wall and then go back in another direction and it worked really really well and I was very impressed with the hoverboard technology and then I woke up and was instantly miserable uh, because it wasn't real Welcome to the show. This week, I am very excited to have Daniel Timothy DeRozier. We're talking about his EP called Dial 888, based off of Duandre's Dream of Electric Sheep, written by Philip K. Dick, the inspiration for the film Blade Runner, sci-fi classic, really good shit. We're also going to talk a lot about his creative process and how creativity can kind of dictate everything you do in your life. It's like having a kid or a dog. It's a monkey on the back. Uh, and it's it's a really great conversation. To get us started, I want to play you a little bit of Dan's music so you can get a feeling for what we're talking about here. Uh, so here is the first track off of Dial 888 called Tyranny of an Object. When I woke up, I did not want to be. I should have got myself up on. The setting deep With Buster on the screen I stare into the void I should rise in a
For far too long, my things control me. start by singing something what do you want to sing i don't know what do you want to sing uh i don't know uh so we're gonna talk about do androids dream of electric sheep and blade runner and your ep and all the wonderfulness that that entails (laughs) 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 yeah i still want to sing a song can we sing a song uh i can show you the the world world. wait you be jasmine Shining, shimmering, Tell me, princess, princess, now when did you last let Wait, your heart what about Give it the most time of the year. Seven of the year. I don't know what you're saying. It's the community theme song, but I don't know uh, any of the words. That was uh, undecipherable from where I was sitting. <laughs> You're sitting pretty close. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh... Big yellow joint, big yellow joint, meet me down by the big yellow joint. I don't know if I'm doing the melody right, but it's that, that song from Rest of Development. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. For the, without the, the blue th- yeah, thing. The banana stand. I don't know. What it There's always money in the banana stand. <laughs> I haven't watched that show in a while. I love that show. It's good. It's good. I like that show. So how old were you when you read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? When did that EP come out? <laughs> According to your Bandcamp page, 2013. So 2012, I read it in 2012. Okay. I that I released that EP a year after I made it. Really? Why? Yeah. Didn't you, have the technology to oh. put it out. So you finish it, and then you didn't have the technology. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the tubes weren't ready. The tubes. <laughs> the tube. The technology. future will travel in tubes. Uh, tube technology. That's my favorite line in that oh, song. It, that's the, like the best line in the whole album. Technology. So good. Um. Uh, yeah, I, so that's when I was I was living with Mark, um, uh-huh. and I didn't have a computer, so I was just like using his laptop to upload to like to. You're making masturbation 
You're I'm not using... making masturbation, but I did use it for that. Okay. But I'm not. That's not what I mean here. I mean that like I was using your it hand to... gestures are very misleading. I was using it to export <laughs> the tracks. <laughs> yeah, oh, was, visual I, I... jokes are so good on podcasts. Oh, they work really well for me. Um. Yeah, they, I was using his computer to export the tracks when uh-huh. I finished writing them. That's why they're all in mono. <laughs> they're all in mono? Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, which uh, really pains me. Really? It, yeah, I really hate that they're in mono. Because you're all about the stereo field. Oh, I love I love hard pans, and I love yeah. I love panning while things are going. Yeah. I love all that stuff. And, uh, Crazy. To have, an, to have an EP that's in mono. Uh, I, I always try to justify by being like, well, Brian Wilson released all his shit in mono. That's a great reason. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. You know, it's well, it's, it's it. That's not the reason it's in mono. Right, right. But I mean, it's a good excuse. I'll tell you. I just listened to it, and I've I've heard it all before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I hadn't heard it in a little while. Like Empathy Box, I hear from time. To, no, not Empathy Box. Uh, what's the first track? Tyranny of an object. Tyranny of an object. I've heard more than the others. Um, but I I remember like driving on tour and you playing me all this stuff. Yeah, which was the best. But anyway, uh, I want to tell you about how I listened to it just now. Yeah, was it on headphones? No, it was in speakers, Perfect. and it was completely naked. I got out of the shower, yeah. and I cooked a steak <laughs> naked because it's so fucking hot. Careful and it, that grease, baby. And I <laughs> and I uh, listened to the whole thing really loud. Yes, that's and how. I've never felt closer to you. <laughs> that's how all my music needs to be listened to. <laughs> cooking not, a steak, not wearing clothes. I would just say loud. I and, oh, okay. And with with the exception of this EP. All of my other work, uh, and I put this on my Bandcamp, needs to be listened to on headphones. Yeah. And as loud as you can handle it. Yeah. Well, that one sounds great in speakers. I mean, because obviously I was like across the room. I didn't notice that it was in in mono. Yeah. And so when I was working on the Blade Runner EP, it, it's funny. Be, it's funny that I call it the Blade Runner EP. Yeah, because it's it has about Blade Runner. nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. It's like it's it's this the the things that the songs are about aren't anywhere in the movie. Right. Uh, They're the two coolest things in the book that aren't in the movie. The empathy box and the Penfield mood organ. Yeah. The two fucking coolest things in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah nowhere nowhere to be found in the in the movie. Yeah, nowhere. But yeah, it's it's like, because then it's like, uh, oh yeah, my, do, uh, do Android Jeep Electric Sheep EP? Like, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it doesn't have that catchy ring to it, which is why they renamed the movie in the first place. Blade Runner, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a Blade Runner. Yeah. Fuck but, you, Harrison Ford. Uh, so, w- with the with the dial eight. By that I meant I really want to have sex with Harrison Ford. That's, well, I just wanted to well, who doesn't? clarify. The, I, I, I really wanted to write a batch of songs that could stand alone on just acoustic guitar and vocals. Yeah. And so I spent like a year working these songs out to make sure that they would work like that. So that's what uh, was like in your mind when you read the book, you wanted to write something they would stand alone on acoustic guitar. Then you read the book and you're like, this is it. This is what I want to write Yeah, there were two separate thoughts, right? It was okay. like, I want to write a batch of songs that could stand alone on acoustic guitar. Yeah. And then I started reading the books and I was just like, this is what I want the content to be. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I spent about a year working on those songs. And then when I recorded them in the house that I was living in and they were intended to be demos uh, because I wanted to, my friend Scott had a studio down at Crybaby that I was going to record them at. Yeah. And... I, I we did one session with him and it was fu- it was the songs were it was fun to record and I think the songs were sounding okay but I was I loved the demo so much and I was just like these this is the EP yeah this is they have a great feel to them they really do yeah and I uh I don't I don't think I could have and I uh, I we we recorded Tyrion of an object and it wasn't better than 
Yeah. Uh, so it was just, I didn't see the point of recording the rest of them. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, probably if you came back to them in like 20 years, you could do something like different and interesting with it. But I don't know, like when you record something that close to like the inception of the music, it has this kind of like frenetic energy to it. Well, and then rec- rec- when I recorded the song, like, like I said, I spent about I think like eight or nine months, uh, just on acoustic guitar, writing these songs, working wow. on the vocal parts. And really? then I recorded them, and to put this in reference, this is incredibly unlike you. Like you, you are like the type of guy where uh, you want music to be like quick and uh, natural, intuitive. Intuitive—that's yeah. the word. Yeah. If it's not intuitive, you throw it away. I mean, you're you're where that came from in Mugatu when we played together, and like that really like changed how I look at music for the better because I love that. Yeah. Um, but obviously, there's like more than one way to do everything. It's interesting to hear you talk about. Spending nine months like workshopping something because I've never heard you say anything even remotely like that before. Yeah, and it, but they're great. I mean, they're great songs. It worked. And it, and, and it's funny. So I, I spent nine months working on just the acoustic guitar and the vocals, like nothing else. Wow. And then when I did the recordings, I just hammered out like drum parts and oh, it was the first time that I recorded live drums on that recorder that I have. Yeah. And I loved it. I yeah. loved the way that it sounded because the the kit that I had for that it was floor tom snare. And then tambourine. That's yeah. all I use for uh, percussion. Everything you hear that's like kind of like more percussive, and I use like the rims of the drums or like sticks. But it was just those three things. That's awesome. I, tell me, tell me a little bit about with this recorder because it's such a big part of your music, mm-hmm. and I've seen you work with it before. And you, it's like watching like a surgeon <laughs> operate because I don't understand what you're doing. But the, like the you. Record all the like the fade in fade out stuff live. Yeah, I do all my mixing live. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. I, I that's crazy to me. So it, it and it's something something you brought up is like uh, I have limited resources, right? I have limited space on it, so I have to be yeah, like I'm, limited like physical hard drive space, right? So I have to yeah. be conservative with my parts yeah. and like. So you would record like because I've done a little bit of recording with you on on this thing. And you have people like sing two or three parts at once, like two or three people singing together because you only have one track that you can right, fit. Right, you have to be economical with it. But it makes like a cool sound. I mean, it really sounds cool. It really, like when I recorded Asteroid Field, it was right after I recorded with you on your uh, EP before the one you're working on now. Yeah. And I totally did that with Naomi. I was like, we're going to sing in the room together. And that, like the last vocals on the song are just so romantic and special and cool because we sang together for real. And I also think, I also think recording, especially like recording vocals or recording instruments like together, there's an energy to it. Right? Absolutely. You're, you're feeding yeah. off of each other. And we, uh, the, the, the EP that I'm working on now, uh, I, I, the reason I had John aside from him just being a brilliant musician and ha- just have, he's a fun person to be around. Uh, I wanted to be able to play multiple, have multiple instruments being recorded at the same time. So you have that live energy. So he would yeah. record guitar while I played drums. Oh, cool. He'd play bass while I did the lead guitar. Yeah. So, uh, but it's important to me to have that energy in recordings. Uh, yeah. Because I spent, I did, I spent, I spent like a decade recording by myself. Like I did the whole, I, minus some vocals on the full length. That's all me. Uh, the Blade Runner thing is all me. Yeah. Uh, and so I spent a long time just like playing all the instruments, which is fun and it's cool to be like, "Hey, I played all the instruments. Do you want to fuck me now?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. yes yeah. I do. The answer is yes, yeah. unequivocally. Uh, but do you, do you need more wine? Yeah, I do. Uh, more box wine. 
Uh, I love being able to say I got us a box of wine. Drinking myself off is thirsty business. <laughs> <laughs> do you need do you need a hand? Yeah, no, <laughs> with the wine, not the jerky okay. off. That's what I. That's that's why the Lord blessed me with two hands. One for one, one for, for wine, wine and one for jerking. One for jerking it. <laughs> I've been I've been watching a lot of like Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings, and it's like making me talk in like that <laughs> vernacular again. You oh, always watch that. That's like you've been watching that nonstop for like three for years. years. Yeah, I love Lord of the Rings. We're just the just like there. There's that line. Uh, uh, this is a. It's not really a spoiler for Game of Thrones. It's like a couple seasons ago, but like uh, the Hound and Arya come across this guy in a ransacked village, and he's dying. And the guy's like, "Oh, let me, can I get a sip of that wine? Dying's thirsty work." <laughs> <laughs> just like, I love that line so much. I, I totally remember that. I love that. I love Wait, it. Give me a little bit of your your monologue from Lord of the Rings that you do all the time. Oh shit! That one that got you that job in that movie that you were in that you were so Let's good. Let's see. Uh, oh, uh, a day may come when the men of. Uh, when, uh, when, uh, I'm sorry, I ruined uh, it. Oh uh, no! What it, I I that's the problem is I have forgotten it. Uh, a day may come when the strength of men will fail. Yeah, the, a day may come when the strength of men fail, but it is not this day. <laughs> An hour of wolves <laughs> and shattered shields when the age of men come crashing down, but it is not this day. <laughs> this day I wish fight. people could see your face. <laughs> I have yeah. I, I I you have to make the face. You have to make it's the, the face. It's the only way you can. The words don't come out right, right if you don't make the face. Right here, I'll try. I'll try it without the faces. Okay. A day may come when the courage of men fail. It sucks. An age of wolves. It's terrible. It's, it's, Stop. It's, my face is already like morphing. Now do it again with the face. An hour of wolves. That's so much and better. And shattered shields. Oh my god. When so the good. age of men come crashing down. <laughs> I. That's one of my favorite things when it's like. You went so Scottish right I, at the end of that. When I said down. Down. It, it, it's like. It's like. It's huge. And then it's like. It's like this, the almost whisper. It's like, um, and our wolves and shattered shields on the edge of men come crashing down, but it is not this day. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he just ran out of air. Right? Yeah. It's not this day. It's not this day. Uh, so, right before we started recording, <gasps> you were saying that the first time you read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, within seconds, Look at them, the first couple pages. Within the first couple pages, I was yeah. I was like, I'm writing music about this. Yeah. A lot of a lot of my favorite bands uh, write music either based on literature that they've read or stuff that they've created. Like, uh, yeah. like Our Lady Peace, which I'm embarrassed to admit that I like. I I, I uh, I've listened to them recently, and I'm like, ooh, this does not hold up. Uh, <laughs> but I, when I was a kid, I was really into them, and they they had a they had a song called Starseed, which was based on a book called Starseed. Yeah, and then they did a whole album about a book called The Age of Spiritual Machines, and that's what got me into Ray Kurzweil oh. and the whole, like, futurist movement and stuff Fuck like yeah. that. Uh, Dude, that shit is so interesting. I love it. I, I'm a, uh, just, just rid me of this fleshy prison and put my brain on the internet. Like, I don't care. Wow. I'm done. I'm done with this plane. <laughs> wow. Would you do, you do that in a second? What does that mean to you? Like, would you really do that? I'm asking you a serious question. I... Because right. this happened in the episode of Star Trek Next Generation called The Schizoid Man, and it didn't go so well. Right now, probably not. But if it was like, if 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 virtual reality was indistinguishable from real life, then why like the not? Matrix? Yeah. Like it, so, if you could upload in the Matrix and live there, you'd do it. Yeah. Why? Uh, you could have. Uh, and it's, it's it's superficial, but you can have control over your physical projection. 
Have you read uh, any of the uh, the Kovacs? What, what's ah oh, fuck? What's it called? Um, Altered Carbon. Have you read Altered Carbon? I have not. So there's like a series of books. Altered Carbon is the first where they've digitized consciousness, and you have something called a cortical stack in the back of your neck that has your consciousness inside of it. You can pull it out and put it into other bodies, or you can go into virtual reality, and everything's just as real. And there's a sex scene in the second book where they're in this like holodeck type environment. It's all it's all VR, and they actually like you can sculpt the other person's body and make it whatever you want it to be. Right. It's the most like crazy, bizarre sex scene I've ever yeah, read. I'm into that. I, I used to, I, when I, when I did stand up more regularly, I used to have a joke about, uh, how like technology and like virtual reality will save us and connect us all. But before that happens, there's going to be a weird, disgusting orgy. Uh, and uh, like in like in the Matrix, right? And, like it'd be like an Incredible Hulk with tentacle limbs banging like a mechanical chicken or something like that. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> just whatever you want to be, you can. I'd be pay in. six dollars to see that. Um, that's matinee price. I'll, yeah. I'll take that. So, do, so you would want to be in an environment where you can change what you are. Yeah, I because I feel like I do that anyway, right? I feel like we're different people with different. With, with the groups of people we're around, the art that so? we make. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm certainly not, like, I think there's a baseline of Dan, uh, but I think there's a Dan that works my office job. Right. Uh, and there's totally. a Dan that writes comedy and makes uh, videos, and there's a Dan that makes music, and there's a yeah. Dan that has a girlfriend. You know? I feel like, uh, I feel that way, too. I feel like there's this Jesse at work which is not me. It's the me that's asleep because I don't necessarily want to be there. So I've kind of turned off the part of me that I hold dear. Oh, see, I, like, I think they're, I, I delight in all of them, you know, like really? Yeah. Uh, none of, uh, I used to, I used to have this like issue where I was just like, is there a real me? Like, do I, am I a real person? Do I have an actual personality? Yeah. I feel that. Or, or, or am I just conforming who I am to fit the needs of who I'm around? Totally. I feel, uh, I, I worry about that about myself. And, and I think the answer is yes, but I don't, but that doesn't mean I, uh, that doesn't mean I don't exist. You know, like I, yeah. I, I, uh, the per, the person I am around you is just as valid as the person I am at work. And just as valid as the person I am that I'm with Emily. Uh, and we're all, and the, the, all those people are like slightly different and conform to fit the needs of the people that I'm around. And I am thankful that I have that sort of adaptability and revel in it. Cause it's, yeah. I'm very different. I approach that very differently. Like uh, the me at work is a version of me that will keep my job because like, I mean, you know me, like I want to, like put on butterfly wings and you want to put on tiny little shorts, put on tiny little shorts and prance around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so like putting on like a suit and tie and going to work and leasing apartments is, uh, it's, it's like, uh, at first I kind of enjoyed making that persona cause it's a persona. Right. And I kind of enjoyed that for a while, but then when I, because you're working so many off, hours right? of the day to live inside of that persona for so long kind of became like, almost like gross to me. And you know what? I, I think right now I'm really fortunate that I really like what I do and I really yeah. like the people that I work with. Yeah. When I worked at like Scratch Deli, like I hated it. You know, like, and it, I, uh, Scratch Deli was like the best customer service job I've ever had and I still hated it. I still, yeah. I still despise customers. I thought them less of, uh, less than me. Uh, like I was, I'm just shitty at customer service. That's what it yeah. boils down to and I shouldn't be in it. <laughs> 
Uh, and so I can understand there. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, on a, on a good manic day, I could be like the best customer service person ever, but like every other day, it was just yeah. like, fuck you. I'm like, you, so good at customer service. It's like you pay my bills and I'm like, fuck you for existing right yeah. now. Uh, yeah, I just should crazy. Be yeah. I'm not like that at all. Like I, uh, I really enjoy making people's days better. So like when I worked at Starbucks, I always like to assume that everyone was having the worst day ever. Mm-hmm. And that maybe I could make that day a little bit better. And I really love that. There's something That's about that. That's a great way to think about it. Yeah, I really, really love that. Because I have had many occasions where I went into a Starbucks where I was having the worst day ever. And someone cheered me up. I was like, holy shit, that was awesome. Like, I'm going to come back here tomorrow because you make me feel good. That's like, that is the best answer to like, I, I just I just did an interview today. Um, For what? Uh, I can't say. At, at work? No. Okay. Uh, for a different job that I can't talk about. Oh, crazy. Yeah. I'll, I'll because say, if you don't get it. No, no, because it's because uh, I've signed NDAs. Really? I, I can't talk about it. Yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I, I'll tell, tell you afterwards. Okay. Uh, spoiler alert. I'm not getting the job. Okay. Uh, but I, uh, but part well, of, we should, we should, uh, we have to assume that there's people out here who don't know you. So you work at Amazon right now. Yeah. I work at Amazon. You're in like, <laughs> what, tell, what's your position? I, I'm, uh, I'm currently an associate producer of customer service videos. Which is a pretty badass job. It's, and I have to say, let me let me talk, talk a little bit about Dan DeRozier. Dan DeRozier got this job because he made the Tiny Baby Talk Show for years, and it became a very successful local comedy show, and he learned how to manage uh, doing a thing that's creative, and that got him a grown-up job at Amazon, which is kind of incredible. dope, man. It's like, amazing. Uh, yeah. And we're, I, that's, why I have, that's why I have, like, no issue... With the fact that I work for a company like Amazon, which is like, oh, not, no, not at all. Why I, should you? You shouldn't. Uh, people having issues with people working for corporations. Like if that's what is, I don't know. There's well, so much that can come from that. That's so good for individuals that. Yeah. Like, I mean, that you can't get from a little like mom and pop store. You went from making like, what, $12 an hour. Let's not talk about my pay rate right now. All right. But, but I, I mean, did, you went, like, I, you, you went, you I skyrocketed because made, of your I creative pursuit. I made 11 at Scratch and I make more we, than that now. Yeah. We don't have to say what you make now, but yeah. uh, it's, it's the kind of jump that doesn't seem possible. It's embarrassing. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Uh, and it all came because you followed your creative passions, which is so yeah. cool. And now, and now, and now I'm like a corporate whore. <laughs> You're not a corporate whore, man. No, You're like no, using no, your creativity to, to. I don't feel bad. About, I don't feel bad about it. Like your what you're doing for your job. I would, I, I would love to do that. You know, like I, uh, I lease apartments. I don't get any creative satisfaction from it at all. But I do get the satisfaction of helping people sometimes. Every once in a while, when a not shitty person walks through the door, which is like one in every twenty five people that walks through the door, and I get to help them. That's yeah. a great feeling. I like that. Yeah, helping people is great. Yeah. I make videos for like people who can't really use technology. Like what? What's an example? Uh so like uh if you bought if you bought like a, a Kindle, like one of those e readers. And you can't use it? We make we make how to videos. So you're like, I don't know This how is to- how you turn a Kindle on. Right. <laughs> Dude, no joke. There's a, <laughs> there's a video on the Amazon website called Setup. Right, and yeah. just like to 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 turn on your Kindle, hit the power button. Like that's a, that's a, you laugh. Like that's a legit. I believe it. Thing. People are fucking stupid, man. You don't know. Well, it's not. It's not just that people are stupid. It's like, say you gave uh, Kindles your like out of touch grandma. You know, uh, you're like your grandma loves reading books. Uh, they're really intuitive. That you, I feel like now I'm selling these products. 
<laughs> You're like went to work, boys. But yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Okay, <laughs> but the long story short, you used. I worked my ass off on this on this a uh, passion project, and it got me a job in the professional yeah. world, which is amazing. Yeah, I didn't go to college for it, honestly, because I just applied for like a creative job in the professional world, and I literally wouldn't have applied for it if you hadn't have done this. Because I'm like, is that possible? Well, is that a thing that people can do? Why didn't I think of that? Well, it's funny because I, the whole, during the whole interview process, I was like, I'm not going to get this job. Yeah. Like this, they, they're not going to give me this job. And it's like third <laughs> interview. I'm like, they're not going to give it to me. <laughs> I was like this, this guy that I'm, he is an acquaintance at best, right? He's, he's a, he's a pretty good dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked with him on a couple of projects. Uh, I I can't remember the last time I talked to him before he got in touch with me about this job. Wow. And he just like emailed me out of the blue and was like, hey, there's this position open at Amazon. I think you'd be great for it. And I was like, okay. And then I didn't hear anything for months. So I'm like, okay, well, that fizzled out as I expected. Uh, And then out of nowhere, he like connected me with the hiring manager and he and the guy's like, all right, let's do an inter- let's do a phone interview. And then the phone interview, he's asked me about my experience, and I just talked about tiny baby. <laughs> and at one point, he stops me. He goes, wait, 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 wait. You had twelve people working for you for free. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Uh, he's like, whoa. Yeah. And he's like, one of them is in L.A. I'm like, uh huh. He's like, okay. And then he's like, do you want to come down to the studio in a couple of days for for an in person interview? I was like, wow. Oh. See, what's cool about that is that, like, they recognize that that's special. Because I was there, and I know how hard that shit was, Tiny Babe. It was hard. Right. And we all kept coming back. And we all, like, there was moments where everyone involved hated it. There was moments where everyone was like, I don't want to be here. But we kept coming back, and I still don't know why. And we're going to get to the bottom of this when, like, we get Baby Dead in here. We talk all the way through Tiny Baby. Because Tiny Baby was good, man. It was good. And we were fucking doing something different. And It, uh, It may have been great. Uh, you're allowed to say that. I yeah. c- I could be like, we did a good thing. Yeah, I liked it. I I that uh, tiny baby was the first thing where I like tried in earnest to make something. Yeah. Uh, it and it it, it was because like you can make music in your living room all day by yourself and release it on Bandcamp and nobody gives a shit and that's fine. Uh, it's not but, fine, but it's true. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's been my life, uh, and it's up till now. I'm okay with it because my I mean, as far as music goes, my ambitions aren't grand. You yeah. know, I like recording music. I love the process. I it, to me, I compare it to like woodworking. I just like the, the I just like the meditative nature of writing music and composing parts. Uh, so I don't necessarily care if like millions of people hear it. Like if I can share it with my friends and family and maybe some other people like it, that's fine. Like, yeah. Uh, and maybe I'll play a live show here and there. You but, and I are so different in that way. <laughs> but I mean, but as far as like making comedy and like doing live performances and making yeah. film, like uh, I never really tried cause I was just afraid to fail or worse yet afraid to exceed. Cause then there's expect, there's a whole set of expectations if you do succeed. Yeah. And um, more than anyone that I've ever met, I think you, you really put crazy expectations on yourself. Like when you when you have any success at all, uh, it almost like cripples you because you're just like, oh my god, how am I gonna do this again? Yeah. Instead of instead of just being like, oh my god, I did it, I did it. Like when I have any success at all, I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe it. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I yeah. did it. I did it. This I is have, the moment I've been waiting for. 
it, and then you just like, oh god, oh god, I have to do this again. I'm irrelevant. Everyone I hates me. Oh no, that's like that was like every month for Tiny Baby. <laughs> oh, and yeah. it was so weird to see that happen over and over and over again because everyone loved it every month, you know. Like, and even if a show wasn't as good, even like the time where Justin got what like meningitis and couldn't come in, and then Luke played his part. Yeah, we had to re. I, I rewrote five pages of that script the day before the show, and Luke like memorized it all, kind of, and then. Yep. <laughs> We just got up on stage and his mustache wouldn't stay on his face. Oh, my God. People love that episode. That was, was the Real so, New Dad episode. That was a great episode. Yeah, people love it. So, like, it, but it, even when you even when you completely fuck up, people still love it. And it's not like you fucked up. It's like the show. Like, we fucked this, up together. We fucked right. up together. People still loved it. Um. Well, uh, so what is it? What is it about you that creates this environment where you put this pressure on yourself? I think it's necessary pressure because... Uh, because if I don't care and I don't stress out, I won't work as hard. Interesting. That like, makes sense I, to me because uh, when I met you, you were like the quintessential stoner. Like you were, <laughs> you were like the guy who didn't do anything except for play drums and smoke pot. Yeah, and, it I was mean, fucking it's, dope. <laughs> it's been, <laughs> it's been like kind of strange to watch that person turn into the person you are now. Who. But you've changed so much. You've changed more than anyone I've ever known in the amount of time that I've known you. Because I've known you for it all like five and a half really years. Quick. Yeah, yeah. It all yeah. Feels you, quick. You started like I, I remember driving to Mugatu practice and you telling me and Barton that you couldn't rehearse on Mondays or Thursdays because those are the days you wanted to do open mic stand up, and that was like things you, something you really needed to do. And we're just like, okay, Dan, whatever. Because like you're not, because you're not gonna go. Like we're just like, yeah, whatever. You're just gonna get stoned and not go. You know. You and know, then like two months later or three months later, whatever. You're like, I'm gonna start this web series, and we're like, or not web series. You're like, I'm gonna start this. Uh, I'm gonna start this uh, live sit, show. This live show. This like uh, talk show. And we're like, whatever, Dan. You're gonna do like an episode, and then you're gonna get stoned, and then you're gonna stop. And then two years later, we're like still doing it, and people we're packing the house every night, and I'm looking around myself like. Who is this guy? Like, what happened? <laughs> I don't <It's>, know. <laughs> so here's my... I think that you've always been this person and that you've pretended to not be. That's my theory. I think that's... Yeah. I think that's pretty spot on. I think that this person's... I think the person I am now, yeah, has always been inside of me. I, I mean, I grew up... I grew up in a family of, like, alphas. And everyone had of. Man, if you think I'm loud, like everyone else in my family is louder and really? and more opinionated. That sounds terrifying. I'm the beta of my family. Wow. And we grown up in that. Like I wasn't encouraged. I wasn't supported. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the thing that I do know about you that sucks. And you and I, I mean, we're very close, but we come from like opposite backgrounds. Yeah, right. Because like, you're you're like they're very like very supported. Drum drum sets, recording equipment. Yeah, like, totally. Do it, do it. Yeah, totally. My parents are like, oh, you want to do something? You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. My, I remember my grandma being like, "You're no good at singing, so you should just stop." Wow. And then, or, or and then, anytime I played music for my mom, it would her, her like main critique was like, "I don't understand why you have to sing so high." Huh. It was like, uh, Beach Boys? <laughs> yeah. The bands you introduced me to? So I got those things, but never from my family. Like, I got, I, I remember a, a person telling me once, well, I mean, many, many times throughout my life, but one in particular, this person telling me, like, you, you will never make it. Like, you think that you're going to make it, and that's why you're doing this, but you will never make it. Like, you, like, you don't have what it takes, you know? And I think... I also think if that's your if that's your goal for doing something, you're not doing it for the right reasons. Well, 
right? I think that I think that being a being a goal is okay, but I think like I think so. I hold on, hold on. I want to make it. Like, what's what's your definition of making it? Let's let's clarify what we're talking about here. Uh, I when I hear something like that, when when I hear somebody going, "You're never gonna make it," I I project what I think their their opinion of that would be, and I think that's like Lady Gaga or like okay like Madonna status like you're going to be a superstar like yeah i think that's a that's a fair thing to think for for me it means that i don't have a job that like straight up it just means that i'm or creative or the music is your job or or, or no. like being creative is your job yes well, i guess i mean to me it, it making it to me means that i can do what i feel like i'm supposed to do with my life which is being creative 100% of the time right but that you you have to be able to like facts are facts you need to be able to make money no yeah exactly that means that I get paid enough from doing that that I don't have to have a job That's, and that that could be like yeah. I mean that could be like 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 35 like a year you know like that That's could what, be what it what, is that what baby Dan was saying he's like if I can make 20 grand a year doing what I want to do yeah like I have made it yeah and I think I think that's fair and I like yeah and no, I, no, that's that's what I mean that's what I'm thinking when I say that right but I'm sure that's not what you, whoever said that to you was thinking I don't know. I see because to me that's always kind of been making it, but I, everybody's like perception is so different of of the society that we live in, and like the, person- every everything about ourselves is all so subjective that when when someone says something to you like cuts you to the core, it means something totally different to them than it means to you. Like she says that to me, and to me I'm like, oh my god, my entire life is a lie, and to her it means you'll never be Lady Gaga. I'm never gonna be Lady Gaga. I'm never gonna wear a dress of meat. I know that. Well. Like, well, I might, I might do that, yeah, yeah. But, but never at the Grammys. Uh, I might do that. Yeah, I. Now that I have this like cush job, I'm like, and and I've like, I like took a break from being like vigorously creative, like I was with Tiny Baby, just because I needed time to acclimate to my new job. Yeah. But now that I've like built up a stamina that I can like work a full day and still have energy to stuff at night. <clears throat> I'm starting to feel like, like kind of like Barton, you can have it both ways. You can have a successful professional career while pursuing your passions. Yeah. And there's no reason you have to live, live in poverty to do it. Yeah. But I, I, I understand how lucky I am. Like I, I know that I really lucked out. Like it was a a bit of hard work and uh, uh, a lot of luck. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that, and the opportunity that was, that was presented to me does not come along to everybody. And it doesn't come along often, which is why I'm like munching this job up. I love it. Yeah. And it's like, I'm like naturally good at it. I, like, that's awesome. That's, that's what I want. I want to have a job that I'm naturally good at so that I don't have to like find this well of energy to do something that I kind of don't like, you know what I mean? Because like doing something you don't like all day, many days a week, really takes it out of you. It, like, Fucking right, man. It really like soaks up all that creative energy. Like you just have to go home and you have to watch The Walking Dead and Rick and Morty for hours because you got nothing left and you just need to recharge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or as I call it, research. Research. Totally. <laughs> you know what's fun about this podcast is that I read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and then watch Blade Runner and then listen to your EP as research. Yeah. And right? I loved the, all of it. It was uh, great. Man, can we talk about fucking... So tyranny of an object is a phrase from the book. Yeah. Oh my God. I want to talk about, I really want to talk about the book. I just read it like days ago. Let's yeah. fucking talk about the book. I, uh, I haven't read it. I've read it twice and I haven't read it in a while. So yeah. you, the, the first time I read it, I was 
like a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I read it because I saw Blade Runner and I was confused. And I wanted it to explain things to me, and then I was more confused. Yeah, because the source material does not translate very well over to the movie. This time reading the book, just like pages in, I was like, oh my god, this is fucking awesome. Oh. And I, I love Philip K. Dick. I read a ton of Philip K. Dick when I was in like high school and college. And it's been a while since I read any of his stuff. And then, I, don't, I mean, I don't know why... I think it's because I got into reading Robin Hobb and then fantasy kind of took over. But then going back and reading Philip K. Dick again was like, this is feels like home to me. Yeah. Like the the style of his writing, the sort of irreverent nature of the universe that he builds. Very much like uh, Douglas Adams, like Hitchhiker's Guide. Very just uh, everything kind of makes sense, but in its own particular way. And Every, everything everything makes sense in, in the context of the story, right? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, so like the first chapter, this couple wakes up and they they have their uh, their Penfield mood organ, where you wake up and you dial a number which is a mood, and then you feel that way. Yeah, and that's a uh, dial eight eight eight. Yeah, is the 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 feeling of wanting to watch television no matter what's on it. And that's the title of your EP. Yeah. Uh, and then what's the in in the first track in uh, Tyranny of an Object? You mention like dial eight one four two or something. What's the number? Dial four eight one. Dial four eight one. What does that mean? I, I fucking don't remember. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's been so long that I don't remember. Uh, I know uh, with the context of the songs, it's I should have dialed. I should wisen up and dial four eight one. Right. That's the line. Uh, I think it's like I don't know. We could look it up. There, I. Well, I remember like the first chapter. The, the wife is talking about how she wants to dial depression later in the day so she can remember what it feels, feels like. like. Yeah, and, and that, then the husband, which is Rick Deckard, who's the bounty hunter played by Harrison Ford in the movie and played. I don't Runner. know why they didn't put her wife, put his wife in it. She's such it's a so cool strange. character. She's a great character, and it makes the the conflict of of Deckard sleeping with this. Uh, replicant like so much more intense when you know that he's got something back home that's actually really good like his wife seems kind of great like she's the only person in the book who seems to have any perception of the fact that maybe humanity has kind of lost something because mm-hmm. in the book they make it very clear that it's it's post World War Terminus which is uh, probably World War Three. well so it all it all takes place so um, the book's Varys uh, Man in the High Castle and uh, Do Angel Achieve Electric Sheep all take place in the same universe. But, I didn't know that. But they're they, they you know it's different time periods within that story. And originally, Do Angel's Dream of Electric Sheep was supposed to take place in the '90s, but then uh, future publications they put it into like the 2020s or something like that. Oh, okay. So uh, a four eight one is awareness of the manifold possibilities open to me in the future. So that's like you have cereal, you dial a 481, and you feel like the day might go great. Right. You're like, yeah, yeah things might be good. And it's a really cool idea. It's like it's so interesting that you have this specificity over your own mood. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like playing off of well, like mood-enhancing drugs right, and stuff like that. I was like going to say, don't we have that now? We, we do to a degree, but it's not like specific. Like We don't have yeah. something that will make you want to sit down and watch TV. Uh, without caring about the rest of the world. Uh, I believe that's called weed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cheers. Cheers to that one. <laughs> Hashtag truth. <laughs> so what was it about about the mood organ that inspired you? Because this happened like the first chapter. What spoke to you personally about that? 
It's hard, you know. It's weird. It, it, it's hard. It's hard to re- recall those feelings. I think I, I I know I know specifically with like tyranny of an object. I love that phrase. The 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 idea the the tyranny of an object. The 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 idea that a possession that you pour all of your like love into, uh, but it's an inanimate object and it's incapable of giving you anything back. Was right? the phrase tyranny of an object was. I feel like in the book that was used to describe his electric sheep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because everybody in this uh, so in this future world, there's just no animals, and animals are like really, really, really oh, valuable. Almost no animals. Almost no animals. Yeah, they're incredibly valuable. So owning a goat right, is like so a, a status. status. Yeah, Symbol. and that's and that's something I loved about the story is that like even in the even in the face of the apocalypse, we're still concerned about status symbols. Yeah, and it's interesting how status symbols will change in that situation. In the movie, they touch on it. It's definitely still there in the movie. Like, they have the owl, and then he's like, oh, is it is it artificial? He's like, of course it's artificial. So they definitely touch on the fact that animals aren't there. And the Voight-Kampf text, test in the movie where you're kind of trying to determine if someone is an android. Right, it's an empathy test. Yeah, the empathy test does revolve around animals still. But in the book, it's way more prevalent, the fact that uh, like how you react to an animal being consumed. Like they decide to eat dog. You know, like, that's the question on the Voight-Kampf test in the movie and in the book. They say they're going to eat dog. Uh, it it resonates so much more in the book because you recognize that you're in this world where animals are all but extinct, and right. they have their Sydney's guide, which has like the price for these animals. Like you find a spider, you could make so much money to right. sell it. A real live spider. Well, and I also I also love and I I I, I talk about I I, uh, I wrote about it in Empathy Box where um no 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 sorry uh in Dial Three uh which what's is a three three I be- three I believe is just happiness okay uh what's one I don't know I don't know if there is one erection but I know but it's yeah dial the, one for erection the, the course is if you're, if you're feeling down dial three yeah uh I love I I. I just listened to that naked and it was great. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he's the, he's uh, for lack of a better term, he's retarded from the radiation. Isidore. The yeah, yeah. 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 And he, he's a chicken head, right? A chicken there's, head. That's there's all the... this, this radiation dust that has settled over everything. And it's made a lot of people uh, have like mental difficulties. And in the, in the movie, he's kind of a JF Sebastian. The guy who makes the toys. Yeah. He, that's the, the character that's basically Isidore in the book. I think it's like J.R. Isidore and yeah. J.F. Sebastian in the movie. Right. I, I, that could be wrong. But uh, this guy who's like a little bit off, who's helping the replicants because he doesn't, because he has so much empathy, he doesn't recognize that he's not supposed to have empathy for the, for the, for the replicants. I'm just afraid of him biting me because he's so. He just wants to sit by you. I know, but I, I, if I move my foot the wrong way, he's going to snap at me. I know it. Well, that's the world in which we but live. But my mobility is <laughs> so restricted right now. Hey, Miles. Hey, Miles. Scram. Hey, buddy. Scram, Miles. I love you, Miles. Perfect. Come here. I can stretch him out. Um, and, um, but he, want, he wants... To, like his, uh, most people have fled Earth for either uh, colonies that are on the moon or on Mars. Yeah. Because Earth is like a wasteland after World War Terminus. Right, and so... The people they can't afford to leave are stuck. Yeah, and it, it it to me to me it's such a it's a really it's a good analogy for like the cycle of poverty where it's like mm. you can't get out of it because if you you know if you're poor 
then you probably don't have the opportunities to get like a better education. And so you're probably totally. you. So then what you start working at like McDonald's or something, and then you're making minimum wage and that doesn't cover all of your bills. So then you start accepting like government, you know, government handouts of like welfare yeah. and food stamps, which I've done. So I'd, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, and then it's just the cycle because you can't make enough to get up in out of the poverty and it's like you want you want to leave and you want to go to the moon and you want to go to Mars, but you can't get out of it. And be, so poverty to me is the is the the radioactive dust that's mm. just like poisoning your mind that won't allow you to get out of it. Yeah, and it's interesting because Isidore in the book is written as probably the most empathetic character in the whole book. So and everyone calls him a chicken head all the time. And everyone is basically calling him retarded for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah, re- and, they're calling Chickenhead. They're calling him a retard. Yeah, but he's probably the he's like the only sympathetic character in mm-hmm. the whole book. He's like the best guy in the book, which is also I, I don't know, like what about what about him makes him a chickenhead? You know, because like they they talk about how uh, these people are maybe a little bit slower. Like he has trouble like remembering things sometimes, yeah. but he always gets there, and he is the guy who can like kind of be there for you when you actually need someone to be there for you when everyone else in this world has kind of forgotten how to do that for each other and and they're out for themselves totally right they're not interested in helping other people yeah and then i love the phrase kipple like kipple is so good i love that idea that you have so kipple is just the stuff that you it's the debris that you leave behind so it's like see you had to abandon your apartment right now jesse you'd have your bed your computer your keyboard that's just all, that's Kipple, man. That's all the stuff you're leaving behind because you don't have room to take it. And Kipple multiplies. Like, if you leave a room empty and you come back, it will be dirtier and there will be more stuff. Right. More Kipple left behind. <laughs> it just forms somehow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think, I, to me, that to me the, uh, that's squatting, right? People are squatting and leaving their stuff in yeah. and they're leaving. You know what I loved is the fact that Isidore lives in this giant apartment complex by himself. Like, everyone else has Th- fled. Like, what, like thousands of units? Yeah. Right, just and he's the only person. They did that in the movie also, where J.F. Sebastian is the only person who lives in the Bradbury, which is obviously named after Ray Bradbury. He's the only person who lives there, which doesn't make sense in the movie because when you're out on the street in There's the movie, people everywhere. it's packed. Yeah. It's crowded. It's so crowded. But it was a really cool idea from the book, and I feel like they just kind of did it because it was in the book, not necessarily because it made because sense it in the world the of the movie. And and that's that's something, the overall sound of Dial 888, is I wanted to, I was trying to capture the spaciousness of the world, hmm. like how empty the world was. And so they're like, uh, even, even though there's like, there's a lot of instruments, there's also like a lot of space yeah. between the instruments and... Yeah. Because I wanted to have I wanted cool. to have a feeling of emptiness to it. I love that. Uh but let's go back to Tyranny of an Object though. The first track on the EP. Yeah, it's a dope song. It's a gr- it's my favorite on the EP. I love I love that song. It's really good. Uh and I'm definitely gonna play it in the podcast. Yeah. I'm gonna play all three in the podcast, because why the fuck not? Cool. Well, so, it's really that's gonna that's gonna add like a half hour to the podcast. It's gonna add like mm, eighteen minutes. It's yeah, fun. that's I mean I and This'll oh, be a two parter, I'm sure. So the, the uh, there's a there are a lot of things that make this EP special to me. Yeah. One of them is that uh it was the it was the first time in like a personal recording that I let myself be self indulgent and you? Self-indulgent? Yeah. No. Well, if you if you if you listen to uh, either you don't want to be here when this all falls down or the full length uh, uh, getting used to giving up, 
Yeah. The songs, like, if a song is, like, eight minutes long, five minutes of it is, like, an ambient track, right? And then the actual song is, like, maybe two to three minutes. Yeah. All of my songs were really short because I had to be economical with, like, my recorder. Huh. But uh, I decided if I used less instruments, then I had more space. And so I have these, like, I think the shortest song is, like, six minutes. Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted, I wanted, uh, a, a big influence for that was, uh, congratulations by MGMT. Mm. They would do courses too long, like t- longer than <laughs> not, not to me, not too long, it, uh, longer than you would expect a commercial song to sound like a, right. like a pop song to sound right. Like Brian Eno, that part, like, uh, uh, what does he know? Brian Eno. Yeah. Like that part, when they do that at the end, it like goes on for like like four bars longer than you'd expect it to. And I was just like, I love it. I love yeah. that they, they had the, like the courage, like what a privileged statement. I was you know, like, <laughs> they had the courage to be self-indulgent like that. It's so but, funny. Cause I come from, I come from the exact opposite point of view where when I was like in school, cause I went to uh, San Diego state and I took the electroacoustic composition classes and I, um, I like made recordings for school and I would always do something really long because I knew that I could make it interesting, um, which I thought was great. But then it was because of like meeting you where I really felt like, what can I do in, in a minute? Like, what can I, what can I do with a minute of time? Can I, can I get this point across in a minute? So my songs used to be on average, like five to six minutes long. And now I'd say on average, they're like three. I and like and and it's, I th- it's because of you. It's interesting. Well, because I, I mean, I brought that mentality to Magatu because yeah. that's what Magatu needed. Yeah. Right? And, uh, but I, but for the music that I was making for myself, uh, I, I wanted it to be a little more spacey and a little more indulgent because totally. I, I love smoking weed and listening to music on headphones. Yeah. And I want to make music for people who like smoking weed and listening to music on headphones. Yeah. And uh, I, I've become like obsessed with the idea of like, what can I make some, cause I uh, remember the song neon Bible on arcade fire album. That neon song's Bible. So short. It's, it's like two minutes long. And every time I listen to it, I just feel like this insane emotion every time. It's like, that was so fleeting and beautiful and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that's like what I'm, I'm trying to say as much as possible in as little time as possible now. But I used to, I, I, I see like both ways. I'm just like going through a phase, you know? Right. Like I, I used to want six, seven minute long songs. I, I used to want to take people on a journey on the song and really kind of sit them down and make them walk with me through this whole thing. And I'm just, I'm yeah. like out of that and, right now. And I've like, I've come to accept that like, I'm not, I don't make, I'm not making music for the casual listener. Yeah. Right. I like, uh, you're making it for yourself. Well, making it for myself and I'm making it for people like I get who want to, who want to like take time to listen to a six or seven minute song or who yeah. want to listen, who want to listen to a 20 minute EP. Uh, cause it's fun. It like, I, I, I have like specific memories of like, of listening to like flaming lip songs or like listening to Pink Floyd and like being on headphones and being stoned and just like let they do their jams and they have these like expanse moments and yeah. you just go into your mind and you just think about life and you think about the relationship with your dad or you think about where you're going to be in five years. Or you think about your cat and, and, and then, and then all of a sudden you're like, Holy shit. The song's still going. <laughs> like, you know, uh, like it, it like I don't it, it like produces such like a meditative mood, and yeah. I really like I like curating that. That's why I. I that's uh, awesome. I love that. That's so cool. Aside from laziness, that's why I don't write a whole lot of lyrics for my songs. Hmm. Uh, 
but I will sometimes I will sometimes get the James Mercer bug up my butt. Uh uh, like uh, the that song I showed you, Amazon Suicide Net. Yeah. Uh, he, James Mercer from The Shins does one of my favorite things in music, uh, and I do it sometimes, but I try to do it sparingly because I don't want to be ripping him off too much. Um, but he'll write a chorus. You know, it's the chorus, right? It, but but each chorus, the voc, the the uh, the lyrics are different. Right or there's like a slight spin on them, but like yeah. for the more majority of the the lyrics, they're different, and I love that. It's such like, it's like it, it's such hardworking songwriting. Yeah, uh, and I really love the idea that the chorus isn't just the lyrics. Right, it's not just like a hey party, hey party, <laughs> hey. It, 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 like uh, a chorus could be, like the the signifier for a chorus is could be just the melody. Yeah. And that the words can be different. And I love it. I love cuz it cuz it's continuing the story. Cuz I like I like the idea of writing cuz I, I think I think some songwriters will like the the chorus is the unifier to the st- if if you're telling a different if you're telling a story in verse 1 and you're telling like a different story in verse 2, then you have the chorus as kind of like the unifier. It, like mm-hmm. that's the through line to those stories. Whereas you can tell two separate stories in the same song. If you do like a verse that tells the story and then the chorus, uh, it, it resolves the story and then you go to verse two and it's a new story. And then you go to chorus two and it resolves the story of verse two. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that. That's cool. You know what I like to do is like something similar to that, except if you have the chorus the same and then resolve a story in a different way with the same words, yeah, like oh, like a du- like that. the words have a double entendre. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or, by or, the way, I fucking love talking songwriting. It's uh, yeah, it's I, it's great. It's, it's so good. When I lived in San Diego, my friend Steve would come over and we'd talk like audio production. He had really sharp ears, mm-hmm. uh, so we could talk about something that no one else can even hear, and he understood like compression and reverb and, in the way that I do, so that we could talk about it, and that's so insanely valuable because I. It's just like in it's in here all the time. It's just like in my head, and I can't really talk to anyone else about it. <laughs> they try to talk about it with Emily. I try to yeah. talk about like the nuances of like songwriting or comedy writing. She's like, "Yeah, cool." <laughs> She's like yeah. super supportive, but she like <laughs> she like she. Uh, well, you got to spend your ten thousand hours to get there, you know? right? Yeah, exactly. And that's like and uh, the, uh, what you're like you listening to you and Barton talk about like uh, audio engineering and recording. <laughs> Fucking goes over my head so hard. Yeah, it's interesting because like Imugatsu, you were the one who didn't really give a shit about the technical aspect. As long as it felt right, you were fine. Right, cause, and that's like that's why it was never like paramount to me to like be at mixing sessions because yeah. I was like between the two of you, like yeah. I'm not really gonna add anything. Uh, significant, but getting to the point where it feels right took so many hours. You know, it just like. Chipping away at that wood block until it became but see, I think, something inside of it. I think I'm more valuable in that process in the writing of the songs and in yeah. playing them live, not necessarily mixing them. Yeah, and that's I mean, there's no like, there's no. I mean, yes, there's absolutely. No, there's no like, there's no, there's nothing wrong with there's that. There's no feel dial, right? There's no right. like, can we turn the feel up a little bit? Dial oh, perfect. <laughs> dial six two four for yeah. pure Mugatu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay. I want to go back to Tyranny of an Object. Because... Yeah, baby, because that song's dope. <laughs> so, uh, oh, oh, can I talk about how I wrote that song? Yes. Um, I used to I used to go to Gold Gym on Broadway and Republican. 
Uh, and I. What did you wear when you went to Gold's Gym? I just have to know. Oh, just like mesh shorts and like a t-shirt. Nothing. No sweatband, no wristbands. Oh yeah, I'd wear I'd wear a sweatband because I do sweat a lot on my head. Did you wear wristbands? No, bummer. No, okay, wristbands. keep going. Um, but I went to a relaxation yoga class uh-huh. at like six a.m. on a Sunday, and my workout goal is that I was like, I'll do this yoga class at six. I'll do a half hour on the treadmill. I'll do a bit of weightlifting. Have a healthy breakfast. Call it a day. Uh, <laughs> call it a, call it a day at ten. <laughs> Go PM. back to sleep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wake up the next day. Do it again. And I and I went to I went to the yoga class and it was taught by this like sweet tiny old lady. And the only other there was three people in the class and they were both like sweet old ladies. <laughs> uh, and it was this very relaxing class where it wasn't like because I've I've done some yoga before and I I I usually don't like yoga only because it seems like a fashion show for like hot girls to see how short of shorts they can wear. Huh. Uh, and it like. Uh, Again, I have the opposite experience to, with yoga. To be candid, like it makes me feel like I like I'm a I'm a gawker and I leer and I stare at girls, <laughs> and I don't want to do that. And like when I go to yoga, I'm not trying to check out girls. I'm right. trying to like connect with my mind and body. <laughs> and right. uh, and I just I couldn't find myself being able to do that in, in those in those classes, and so I did this relaxation yoga class and it was like super low impact uh it was very like quiet and soft-spoken instruction and it was great i felt amazing afterwards and then i got on the treadmill and i just like stood and stared at the dials and i was like i don't want to fucking jog i want to go home smoke weed and play music yeah and so i did that and in a half hour like no shitting you in a half hour i had all the lyrics and all the chords written. Wow. That was the tyranny of an object. Yeah. It was. And because I was reading the book and I knew I'd wanted to write songs about it. Yeah. What, what hooked you into that? What, what, what about the book hooked you into it? Because in the first chapter you get, uh, the empathy box and you get the mood organ, but it's, I, it seems to me like the mood organ is what hooked you. Yeah. It was, it was the technology to control your emotion. Cause we're, cause we're, Cause I already feel that with like iPhones and like our computers that we have it. Cause I, ha- I have this like regimen of like being on a phone where I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch porn and I masturbate. And then it's like, <laughs> as soon as I clean up, like if, as fast as I can clean up, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. And it's just like this serotonin dump, like all uh-huh. the time. Huh? Um, and I don't know that that's kind of what hooked me into it is that we're, we, we were living that we were living in this world already. Uh, and that book was written decades ago. Yeah. Uh, so th- it, it hooked me. It just hooked me in. I just, uh, I'm a, I'm a sucker for things like that anyway. Yeah. Uh, is there like a, like a wish fulfillment in, I wish I had something that could turn off depression instantly, turn off this feeling of like hopelessness. Cause that, that's what spoke to me about it. Uh, is certainly. Like, yeah. Ab- like absolutely. There's like days where I wake up and I'm like, Oh God, I feel hopeless today. But I, also- I wish I could dial dial three you know and i think in that moment that's how i felt but i think coming out of it uh i am really grateful and any anytime i anytime i feel severe depression and like uh anytime i get like near suicidal i always think about that neutral milk hotel line that's like uh how strange it is to be anything at all and like that like without a without a doubt like that brings me back every time how often do you get near suicidal like what's a year? Really? Yeah, uh, yeah. What what put what puts you there? Um, 
life just existing because uh i I think my privilege (laughs) right i think privilege yeah i think i think it's so i I, and and that's also what kind of brings me back is just like i'm like oh my life is so hard like i'm so sad like life and then but but like and, and especially now i'm just like wait i have a partner who loves me i have an i have an awesome job I have friends. I have a, a fulfilling creative uh, uh, pursuit. Yeah, and, you got it going on right now. But like that doesn't stop the dep- that doesn't stop sadness from creeping in. You know, I also have like like stuff that I don't particularly want to get into on a podcast. But I have yeah. shit with my family. Yeah, uh, that like, and I think I think for for years before I really started like addressing it, like that stuff really brought me down mm-hmm. and like made it hard to connect with people and. Uh, made getting out of bed hard sometimes. I feel like you just started addressing this stuff this year. Yeah. So so when you wrote these songs, you had not addressed this yet. Mm-mm. So maybe the idea of dialing a number to pull yourself out of it would have been wish fulfillment, would have been like a release. Because that's what I hear in the music. I hear this uh, this undercurrent of sadness inside of it, which is, I think, what connects me to it. Because that's what connected me to the story. When I read that first chapter, it's like, and me dial and, something, get out of this feeling, uh, like oh my god, how many times would I would have given anything? Distraction, to do that? distraction, distraction. Right? Yeah. That's uh, just let me not feel what I'm feeling right now. Right. But then his wife, Iran, like his wife, wants to dial depression, and, and that's th- that's in the first chapter. So his wife has her head on straight. Like his wife recognizes that the full variety of human experience is necessary in order to be a human. She's the only person in the book who recognizes that. And that's. That's why that Nutramilk Hotel lyric pulls me out of it. Cause totally. Because it, it, awesome. it, to me, it's like not because it, 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 the phrase, how strange is it to be anything all doesn't just encompass existence. It's like, how wonderful is it that I get to feel anything? Yeah. Like if, even sadness, even sadness. It And it being sad fuels my art. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like and I'm happy, but there's creeping sadness, you know, yeah. like and uh, who like. There's always going to be something to bitch about. There's always going to yeah. be something to be sad about. I think no matter how good your life is, uh, Th- this is where you and I are the same. Is that I feel like we need something to fuel our art, and oftentimes it is something sad. Oh, most of my music is pretty sad. Yeah, like my even my happy songs. Like I just played you the work in progress of Lightspeed, right? Which is a very happy sounding song, but to me that song is, uh, like this desperate need to be this thing that I feel like I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. that I don't know if I ever will be necessarily. Yeah. And I love, I love, I love sad lyrics with poppy music. It's one of my, yeah. it's one of my faves. It's like, like what, uh, the, the electronic EP, I, uh, you don't want to be hearing the all falls down. That's about a breakup. Yeah. Uh, you want to be, uh, uh, the, uh, what, uh, getting used to giving up. That's about moving out to Washington from Boston, breaking up with my girlfriend and being alone. Yeah, uh, uh, dial eight eight eight. It's pretty sad. It's just about it, that's just more of just that's. Uh, I, <laughs> there was there was two goals of dial eight eight eight. Is I uh, I I call it a post apocalyptic makeout album because nice. it's kind of like spacey and dreamy. Yes, um, and good to smooch too. It's great to smooch too. I've actually smooched my own music. That is so masturbatory, and I love it. No, it wasn't my idea. It was uh, this girl saying she was like, "Have you ever made out to your own music before?" I was like, "No." She's like, "Put on some of your music," and I was like, "And you were like, sure." I was like, yeah. <laughs> "I like, I like got carpal tunnel from hitting the space bar so quick." <laughs> 
my friend Cody uh, has given me several reports about having sex to my first album. I was like, <laughs> this is great. That's, this is man, great news. If I, if somebody emailed me or tweeted at me that they had sex while listening to my music, I might quit. I mean, great. Like how it doesn't get much better than that. It's great. Right. Uh, oh, uh, um, um, the current EP I'm working. I was going to uh, dilate any is more like overall general, like existential sadness. Yeah. And then whereas like the other ones were like specific things that I was upset about. Yeah. And then this current one, there's one happy song. There's a happy song on the new EP. Which one? Team Elastic Waistband. That is that the one we all uh, yeah that's the one we all recorded yeah. yeah yeah that's that's about that's about me and Emily being super domestic and yeah. how cuddling up on the couch in our sweatpants is much better than anything else I can think of oh man uh, when people talk about Netflix and chill my first reaction is like yeah fucking like dope I love it but this, <laughs> what's better what is better than cuddling and watching TV there I can't think of anything me neither. I, and that, that's why I love, you know, the line, uh, girls get to see you in those sweatpants, and then we're going to cuddle till we pass out. Yeah. Like, cuddle till we pass out. Because I know, I know once those sweatpants are on, it's fucking on. And I by, love that song. And by on, I mean cuddling. So that night that we all recorded those lyrics was so much fun. That was a blast. I think I was in a lot of pain, so that which is why I want to re-record some of those vocals, because I think I could do better. Pain we, from what? Remember I fell... Oh, that's right. <laughs> and I fucked up my chest. Yeah. Because I was trying to run in clogs. <laughs> what? Well, not, I wasn't like, I was running for a bus. I wasn't, I wasn't like going for clogs? It. Yeah, my Birkenstock clogs. Okay. I was not like, like clogging shoes, like tap shoes for no, clogging. No. No, I mean, I, it, like, I was going for a jog in my clogs. <laughs> <laughs> clog jog. Clog jog, yeah. Oh, man, that'd be a good show. Dial seven for clog jog. Clog <laughs> Well, dial seven for the feeling of where you fall because you tripped on a sidewalk because you're jogging in your clogs. And then as you fell, you caught one of the clogs in the air. <laughs> it's a very specific emotion. So in the second verse of Tyranny of an Object, it's all about the last chapter of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep where Rick Deckard becomes Mercer. Wilbur Mercer. Yeah. So let's talk about Mercerism for a second because we haven't touched on that yet. In the... In the book, there's this religion where you have this thing called the empathy box. You put both hands on the handles of the empathy box, and then you go into this VR virtual reality experience where you are uh, you are basically Wilbur Mercer, who is this... The deity. Yeah. This, yeah, he's kind of like Jesus, basically, and he's walking up a mountain, uh, always walking up this mountain, and then people ne are throwing rocks at him. Never and, getting to that top. Yeah, torturing him. But there's like a plateau that you can get to, but then you go down into like the underworld and come back up again. So it's just this like current... Like well, it's this perpetual cycle that yeah. you always go through, but it's all about the uh, the communal experience, right? Because like, because with the empathy box, like you know you know that everyone else has tapped into it too, right? And that gives you this because right because because the, the the world of that book it's so uh, it's so uh, empty and isolated, so dead. So it's like, the way you feel connected to the rest of society. It's like it's like the internet for us. I mean, this was written before the internet. I yep. So that's again. That's why I'm like this book is fucking mind blowing. Yeah. When it was written. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The uh, he is all of us, and all of us are him. Uh, yeah. It it's just that way to feel connected in an empty world, which I feel like we live in sometimes. I I go I go I go back and forth between like technology is beautiful and brings us all together, and technology is horrible and it isolates all of us. Yeah. Because it does, it simultaneously feel, does both. I, I more often than not feel like technology is bringing us together. And 
I think I think it will. I think I think uh, I think it will, and I think it is. I think it does. I think you just have to learn how to use it because I think if you go onto those, it's a new tool, right? Like, it's, if you go into four chan, it is not bringing people together. <laughs> no, no, it is not. But if you, I mean, Twitter is all about bringing people together. I know. Kevin Smith tweeted at me, or not tweeted. He liked to tweet, dude. Kev, yeah, totally. Kevin Smith also hugged me in person. I was there. Kevin Smith has liked a couple of my tweets recently. It's been awesome. That's pretty dope. Uh, Dude, fucking Mark Hamill liked one of my tweets. What? Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. It was something when the first trailer came out for Force Awakens that had the voiceover from Luke, but it was like from Luke from Return of the Jedi. I uh, posted a tweet that said something like, uh, love this. Mark Hamill has a voice of pure butter. And then he liked that tweet. And I was Uh. like, this is almost as good as the time that Chris Kattan liked one of my tweets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Corky, Corky Romano is such a funny movie. Dude, Monkey Bone. That's I haven't a, seen Monkey Bone. Oh, it's... Dude, we gotta watch that. It's um, okay. Let's talk about Dial eighty, uh, Dial 3. That's okay. Because that, that... Track 2. Yeah, that's the song about uh, I, uh, Iran. Yeah. Iran? Yeah, that's his, his wife's name. Sorry, I'm a little drunk. Me too. Yes. I'm, a little, I'm a little drunk, and I, the last time I read that book was like three years ago. Yeah, that's her name. That's her name. Uh, yeah, that, that song's about her, and it's about, uh, what's his face? The chicken head. Uh, Isidore. Isidore, yeah. That I almost said that. El Salvador. El Salvador. That's wrong. But yeah, that song's about them. What In what way? Uh, this song, there was like lyrics that I tuned into that I felt like I got, but then there was some that I... Because it's a very like ethereal sound. There was I just like didn't understand some of the words. So what what are the lyrics? So the first verse is about his wife, uh, De- Deckard's wife. Yeah. Because uh, it's like she wants some real life sheep up on a rooftop deck. Yeah. Right. It's about how she want she like she want she doesn't want just the status symbol. She wants the sheep. Right. She right. Because she, she feels things for real. She wants the like, real deal. When Deckard comes home with a goat that he spent all of his money on, she's so excited. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it gets into the material things. Uh, and, but and it, the, is it a material thing if it's alive? I would argue not. It is. It is. It, it, you're owning something to uh, elevate your withstanding uh, in the eyes of other people. I think it's that material. it's that way to some people, but to someone like Iran, it's not a pet though. She doesn't. She doesn't want it as a pet. She wants it as a symbol. I, I think that that's true of Deckard. I don't think it's true of Iran. I think she wants it because it's a thing that's alive that she can actually have a connection with. It's like you and Cole. You, you and your cat have the kind of connection that I have with Miles. Yeah. You're like the only person I know who has a connection with their pet. That oh, sweetie. reminds me of what I have with my Bottle cat. fed that cat. That's awesome. my little baby. Uh, you fed her bottles. And then and then the second verse is about how uh, he wants to he wants to leave for the moon. Uh, John, you know, says John says he wants uh, Isidore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he yeah, but he can't because he's a chicken head. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then just like, yeah, over and over again, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling down, dial three. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the songs where there's like, there's very little. That's, that, that song's mostly instrumentation because I wanted to have that like empty feeling. Yeah. Uh, I like that song a lot. It's interesting to think that society has moved on from the planet, but there are still people here. And yeah, there is they, still a society they're, here. They're a kipple. Like, the people are the kipple. The people are kipple. Because I, I think about this sometimes how I want to live in a city so that I feel connected to what's happening 
with popular culture. Because to me, like making music, uh, because like my goal has always been to make it, and but to me, making it means like right. self-sufficiency. Let's uh, say, we'll, we'll say we'll go over making it as red. I, I would also say like part of making it to me is writing a song that people connect to. That to me is making it. Like writing a song that makes people feel something is making it. And in order to do that, I feel like you have to kind of know what's happening in popular culture. Actually, Audrey. Uh, Audrey listened to that song about my grandma from the Kickstarter EP. Yeah. She said that made her cry. Yeah. I was just like, fuck yeah, pay your tribute in tears. Bump, but up, uh, didn't bother me. <laughs> that's <laughs> you, that's you on that one. Yeah, I sang on that I song. Like, I like that song. Uh, I fucking wrote, sorry, uh, it's like my claim to fame as a songwriter. I wrote that, I wrote four songs in five days. Wow. Fuck yeah, man. Man, <laughs> when we, uh, the day that I came to Scratch your recording and I got to do my like, it got to be a part of that. Yeah. I, that was such a great day. Because like, Mark Martin came to town. We got to <laughs> hang out with Mark. And I just had so much fun recording all the songs. I, I was jogging the other day. I listened to that EP. And I loved it. It's good, right? Like, it's so good. Uh, I love Buckets you, of Guilt you so never, much. You never, know, you never know how quickly I wrote and recorded those songs. Yeah. and I, I didn't constantly tell everybody. <laughs> I remember, uh, like, recording the guitar to Buckets of Guilt. And I always have this tendency to overplay and overthink and overdo things. And you really balance me that way. I, f- I feel like this is why you and I work well together mm-hmm. is because uh, our instincts are kind of opposite, but we feel things the same way. Right. And then I feel like you got me to perform in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I listened to that guitar solo and I was like, I can't believe I played this. I oh, love this so good. So much. It's so good. Because you remember I, the takes I did before that were garbage. I was just playing. I wouldn't say they were garbage, but well, I, I was think, playing like so fast. I was just like, I gotta play so it sounds like I know how to play guitar. No, you and then, yeah, and then you, you're you like, need, dude, calm down. <laughs> you just need to play like you're fucking that guitar. Yeah, like and then I know I'm sure that I was stoned. You just need to make it, it like for me it's just like a good guitar solo isn't about the amount of notes. It's like it's the how, space between the notes. How hard are you making that guitar squeal? Yeah. I remember I remember playing I remember very specifically the moment where I played that and I was kind of like embarrassed because I know I, I wasn't playing super well. But then uh I don't know I feel like you and I are able to bring magic out of each other. Mhm. Like the first tour where we went on tour together I would get up and play tambourine, and you'd play drums so well. <laughs> so crazy. I just, I, uh, I've always wanted to play. I want, I, I love layered percussion, and I never yeah. get it. I, uh, I never fucking get it. And yeah. so when I was just like, it, the fact that I just had somebody playing tambourine next to me was like, Ugh. and I was like so willing to play the shit out of that tambourine yeah. just to make you play better, just to juice it, just to juice it. But uh, I felt like uh, like you did that for me when I was playing that guitar solo. I listened to it the other day. I like there's notes that aren't quite right, and there's like things that aren't quite right about it. But everything about it kind of feels a little bit perfect because it. I remember being in that moment with those like giant speakers in front of me. Yeah, you're like you're you're between them. I was in between those two speakers, and I just I was like riding a fucking train where I was in it. <laughs> and you can hear that when you listen to the the solo. The part where he goes, I know, and it's when he goes. Uh, it would be funny if you like if you like insert like faded the audio in.
exactly what you're talking about. You just, that guitar squeals so hard. Yeah. You remember how fucking cold it was in that room? I don't remember that. Oh man, because it's it was winter, right? So it's like Christmas time and that place didn't really have heat. I was so high, I don't remember. Oh, I mean, but, you, you were definitely like, oh, my fingers are so cold. I'm like, just use it. Use it, I? baby. <laughs> Yeah, That's, you have like a way of getting me to do things that that work. Uh, <laughs> Get in but, line. <laughs> but then I like I held on to that feeling, and that's I recorded Asteroid Field right after that. And I really like took that with me. And I feel like that's why Asteroid Field was one of the most easy sounding songs I've recorded because I have a really hard time getting out of my head. I like a lot of my earlier stuff sounds so uh, thought through. Mm-hmm. Like I listened to some tracks off of Washington from the Shadows, my song before the sci fi, my album before the sci fi project, like two albums back, and. I had actually had reviews in press in San Diego that said like this album is kind of cold and insular, and I was like, "Fuck, <laughs> Fuck. you!" But then you listen, you're like, "Ah, shit, it's cold and insular." <laughs> yeah, like this week, I had, I finally had the epiphany. Was like, I get it. I understand why people would say that, and I don't necessarily enjoy this the way that I used to, but like what I'm doing now, uh, I enjoy, and I feel like what I'm doing now is welcoming and like invites people inside of it. And I feel like playing with you is like a huge part of why that's happening. Well, yeah, I used to be really self-conscious about my process. That's what I think that's why for a long time I didn't really release my music to anybody. Huh? Uh, cause I like, I like lo-fi and I like imperfections in recordings. Yeah. And so I would record a song that would have like a wrong note or like something that's not supposed to be there. And I'm like, I like that to me. That makes it special. And so, but, and that's why, that's why it made it really hard for me to like approach people like you or like Johnny Unicorn for like working with me. Cause I'm like, cause you're like your music and his music is sounds so pristine. Yeah. There's just like, you wouldn't want to slum it with me. Cause I, <laughs> but then like, then but, John, John came over and recorded horns uh, on elastic waistband and he was like, I fucking love this process. Like I just like hold, uh, there was no stand. We were just like, t- we were like standing next to my recorder and I just like held a microphone next to his horn. And that's how we did it. And yeah, we did like, he was like, what do you want me to do? I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> And he's like, what do you, I was like, let's just listen to the song and see what comes to mind. Yeah. I just want, you just want people to feel it. Yeah. Like like I, when you feel it, something will happen, but only if you have the chops and only if you are the person who is capable of that, who's like put in the work to get to that point. Yeah. And that's, a, it's funny because I like, I think technically I'm not a really good player. Like I think, I, th- I think, I think I'm best at drums. Yeah. Uh, but even, even then I'm like, oh, I'm like. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, I'm probably like a six or seven on drums. Uh, at least that's how I would consider myself, whether whether, whether that sounds deprecating or not. Uh, but like, I'm not very good on guitar. Like, I could do chords pretty well. I'm not really a lead guy. Uh, I'm like pretty basic on bass, and I can like play chords on a keyboard and like some basic on bass. Ah, ah. Uh, so, <laughs> but but I think what my strength is is composition and songwriting. I think I can. Yeah. I think I can write some pretty killer tunes. I think that's true. I also think your strength is in um, attitude. I I would say what I was going to say. I think my I think my biggest strength is uh, resource management. Right? Is <laughs> what is like is being like. Uh, I think Johnny Unicorn could do a really cool sax solo on this. And mm. and then I can be like John, can you do a sax solo on this? And he can go, What do you want me to do? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure you can do it. <laughs> You know, like I think I think I'm good at connecting the right people to the things that I want, whether it comes yeah. whether whether it's comedy or music. Um, 
and uh, like I do, I do think I can bring good stuff out of people. Yeah, uh, give people the space to do what they can be good at. Just, just, just foster the environment in which they need to create something. I went to see your one man show, quote unquote, one man show recently that you wrote that I think was the best thing you'd ever written, and I. Like as an audience member, it's the first time I saw something performed that you'd written. Because usually I'm in it. Usually right. I'm there from the beginning. Right. And then to see it from an outsider's perspective and see how fucking good it was, I was just like, "Damn!" Like Thank you, you, you need to be doing still, stuff like this. I more. still feel weird about that show. That show was so good. Thank it you. It was so I, good. Uh, I just did. I just. I still haven't had that sense of like accomplishment. That's uh, on you, dude. It no, was. Great. I I know it's on me. It that was a really. That was a really stressful show to write because I hadn't written anything since Tiny Baby, so that's like eight yeah. months uh, since I had written anything. Well, you're also putting yourself in the position where you're writing, acting, directing, producing. You're doing all of it. <laughs> again, again, I put myself in those positions. Yeah, but, it was nice. but, but I get it because that's what I do for my. That's what I do to me too, and I I think that. I look at myself doing these things. I'm like, this is a sickness and it's not good for me. To me, the way out is stopping. Right? <laughs> like, it's, just, it's just setting it all on fire and walking away from it, which is what I did with Tiny Baby. Yeah. And that's, I, I think that's why I bring it up is because like, I want to see you, I want to see you do something that you find a way that is healthy for you to continue so that you can stick with it. Because I think that for you to stick with something, it could go really, really far. Thank you. That's uh, I could make it. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Honestly, I really, I really think that. So, what, what would it take for you to do something like this, but stick with it? What, what would you have to shed away from this experience to do it? Because you had talked about writing stuff you didn't act in. Is that something that would help? Because um, I know you love acting too, so that's tricky. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe having two projects, one where I don't act in. And one that I do act in and I don't write. I don't, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I'm, uh, I'm so like skittish about getting back into it. It that shit's hard. It was tiny baby was hard and yeah. it was so rewarding and it got me the job that I have now. Yeah. Uh, and I want to keep doing it. The thing that you do that I, that I really tune into is your writing. Thank you. Um, I mean, I love, I love your acting too. And I think that sometimes you bring your writing to life in a way that other people can't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I, I know what a toll it took on you. I'd be really interested to see you write something and then just hand it off to someone else and see what happens. <laughs> right. I would love to do that too. But the, I, I, when you said hand it off to somebody else, I was like, duh, I know, right. Duh, hand it off to, what, just hand it off to some asshole to right. ruin. <laughs> well, because you're talking about how you know, uh, and I believe this too. I think that you are correct that you know who to give things to to make something great happen. What if you did that with something that you wrote? I haven't met. I have, but see, uh, you, yeah, that's. I haven't really met anybody that I would like. Yeah, that's a good trust point. with my material without me having like a heavy hand in it. You know. Yeah. And the only the, the only two people that I can think of are Maddie and Dan. Yeah. Like uh, I've write something short and give that a shot. I'm just curious to see what would happen. Uh, I would, man, I would almost have to not be there for rehearsal. Totally. To not, to not like. Perfect. Let's try that. To not like backseat drive. Yeah. And I say all this also like saying that the last one man show I saw where you acted in it was brilliant. And I, 
loved it. And I, it's not that I don't think you should act in your shit. It's just that like I see the the toll it takes on you, and I worry about that. That that show that show that one man show is my anxiety come to life. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you were so tense, and it's not like a healthy thing. No, there was nothing healthy about that show, which is yeah. why I don't really feel good about it. It's, yeah, and that sucks because I had to put myself in a spot that I was uncomfortable with. Yeah, I'm all I'm all about like finding ways to do things creatively that are like nourishing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it should be, right? It should be but, like comedy and acting. It's not. I don't, uh, especially when I'm writing it. It's not nourishing. It's like, why is that? Uh, because it's the. Because he, I I fucking kill I like killed my dad and then cried on his dead body at my comedy show, right? That's like that's my idea of comedy. But what's and not? It, what? Why isn't that nourishing? There was a catharsis there, and we'll say kill your dad. It was Douglas Gale, and he didn't actually die. Right? Uh, <laughs> like what? That that episode was incredible. Like why isn't that cathartic to you? Uh. Because it's merely fantasy. It's a fantasy for me, right? It's like, not like I want to murder my dad. But if it's cathartic to the audience and you're providing that experience to the audience, if you're creating it's, that, it's, 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 do it's you understand the power of that? You must understand it's that. It's cathartic to the story and it's cathartic to the audience, but it's not to me. Why? Because it, um, it's not real, right? It's, of course it's not real. To me, it's, 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 to me, it's a form of therapy that doesn't exactly help. Uh, it just it just makes me more aware of what's wrong with me, huh? Uh, and I think from there I can work on it. But it's I'm not I'm certainly not going to work on it on stage. I'm just going to be like, this is what's happening in my brain, and like, interesting. It, it's so interesting to me because like I because I I just because you're like someone that I know who I want to be happy, and when and I, I and I for the most part I am happy. Yeah, like but uh, but ma- making art. <laughs> <laughs> to be making making the kind of art that I do isn't about being happy. It's uh or even just like the cathar because to me art is all about catharsis. If I don't do it, I don't get that catharsis. I literally go crazy, and it does really, really, really dark things to my psyche. You know what? You know what? I got the most catharsis out of uh, out of Tiny Baby was scream therapy. Really? That, that was because that like that was the to me that was the. Uh, that was the release of tension. Wow. Scream therapy is at the end of a show where everyone just screams at the top of their lungs. All the audience, the cast, everyone. Loud as you can, as long as you can. Yeah. Yeah, that was... And, and uh, the first time we did scream therapy is because I was happy. Hmm. Right? But I had, like, I was, like, I had all this, like, energy and anxiety, and it didn't have anywhere to go. And it never, it never has anywhere to go. It has to, I have to, like, expel it like that. And it can't make sense, and it can't be for a purpose it's just to get it out it's yeah. just it's just a release valve right it, anything that i do that's like acting um that's just performance i'm not like i'm not i uh i don't think i'm actually like acting out any like i might be acting out emotions but they're not gone those are still there yeah those are emotions that i have access to that i can use to do a performance hmm. those stay there but like when i do scream therapy that's 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 the steam valve that gets rid of like the tension that I feel, but it's only temporary because those feelings are all still there. Yeah. That's like the curse is that whenever you do something that feels great, like you do something on stage that works two days later, you're just fucking down. So what's, 
what's next? Like, what do you do after this? Like, I, cause I, this is me being selfish. Like, I want you to do more because I'm into it and I want to see more and hear more. I can see more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, I can't. And, and by what's next, I mean, like, how, how do you take these things that you feel like you have to do? channel it into something where you can sorry can you do said it. the right word uh i don't <laughs> i don't want to do this right but i feel compelled yeah uh i don't feel like i have a choice like it's gonna uh, a scripted show is gonna happen again whether i want it to or not and, yeah uh it's just how it's just so if that's the tr- if that's, that's the, the case <laughs> why don't you like harness that why don't you find a way reframe this into something that is positive for you Cause then it, I don't want to lose my edge, man. <laughs> like, uh, but what what does that mean to you? Because it, lose when you say lose your edge, it sounds to me like you have to do something that connects with an audience. And what we've already established is that that's not but, your goal. Uh, your your goal is if you're doing something to make it, quote unquote, then that's the wrong. I'm not I'm not doing it to me like I'm doing it because I have to, right? I'm doing okay. it because I have this like compulsor this compulsive need to to create yeah. art. Uh, it's anxiety. I need to write about my anxiety. So where does this need come from to do something that is relevant? Oh, because I'm like so superficial and self-conscious and I like I got a taste. Oh, tiny baby got a taste of being relevant. Yeah. In a fucking scene. I'm not about to give that up. Like, I don't want to give it. I don't like I don't I, I like the way that feels. I love the way it feels to have a fucking packed house every month. Like yeah. that feels so good. And uh, and if uh, if people connect to it that is icing on a on on a anxiety ridden cake uh but so i is that is that not making it to you is what not making it to me doing something relevant it's it feels good i don't know if that's making it i think making it would be able to like pay my rent on it right yeah. but we weren't we were charging for tiny baby yeah uh um because I, uh, I I I ask these questions. I think I think you, I think you have it, like it, like the, the it, I, whatever it is. The X factor. Yeah, like I would consider myself to be someone who has it also, and what by it I mean, someone who can do this long term, like someone who has enough inside of them to say that they could make a career out of it. I don't, and that's like what I desperately want because I feel like I have that and I haven't had the opportunity to do that. So I'm just kind of just doing it anyway. And that feels great. I think here, I think my hesitation is this. There's a, I think it's Bukowski. There's a quote that says, find what you love and let it kill you. Right. I'm not ready to let what I love kill me. Uh, but just because Bukowski said it doesn't mean it's the way. No, 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 but, but I don't, the, sure, but I don't disagree with him. Well, how about find what you love and let it, like, nourish you? But it's something could be nourishing and damaging at the same time, right? In what way? Because uh, the, t- the way I take that line of his is taking what you love, like, if it's comedy, and that becomes priority over everything else. Okay. Right. That become that become. Yeah, I feel that. That I feel that. That mean that means missing dates with your girlfriend. That means, uh, the friends that don't do comedy. That means they go to the wayside. That means not. That means not taking a whole lot of time for yourself. It means not going to Portland for an at the drive-in concert. Uh, 
it 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 means that you let it consume you because that's all you want to do and writing comedy and writing stories about being anxious and about things that make me sad uh is what I love. I love doing it. Mm. Uh, and I'm not See, there. There. That's it. That's it right there. Is that, that's what I've been missing here is that the, what you love is writing about what makes you sad. And if you're not sad, how are you going to do that? I, uh, I, I have stuff to write about. <laughs> like, <I'm> yeah. <laughs> See, this is, this is the thing that I have. That's lucky for me as an artist is that, um, uh, like I have, I used to do that. That used to be me. And then I got like a health condition. So that doesn't go away. So now my whole purpose is to find a way to not let that take over my life. Mm -hmm. And now I always have something to write about because I will never not have that health condition. So I can be happy. Like I can shoot for happiness because I will always have this thing that sucks. And I think that maybe as an artist, you have to have something that sucks. Mm -hmm. So... I just got I got lucky and I stumbled into a thing that 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 sucks that I can't get rid of because now I can focus on making the things that I can get rid of go away. Yeah, and I think I think the things that are making I think the things that are making me anxious and sad, I'm having a hard time finding I'm having a hard I'm having a hard time finding the comedy in it. Huh. And so I think that makes it a little difficult. Like what? Stuff I don't want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> not, Can you not tell a, me like the genre that we're talking about? Yeah. Fa uh, family stuff, yeah. uh, relationships, yeah. uh, uh, getting what you want and finding that uh, doesn't uh, be, be uh, one of the big things is like, and it, and it's such a, it's such a cliche, but like uh, not being poor and realizing that money is not making you happy. Yeah. Uh, there, but like, because that's such a trope, it's like, how do you find the comedy in something that's been, uh, poured oh, man, over because that's like, like the universal experience right and and uh anyone who crosses that line will feel that and like we need people like you to tell us why i don't uh, yeah i uh i but the, okay so like the things that i wrote about in tiny baby were things that i had been like sad and anxious about for like a decade okay the things that i'm feeling sad and anxious about now are fresh right so i'm still in those moments uh, and but I, you live in the moment. Like you're the person who like revels in that. You're the person who. But I'm who, also I'm also the kind of person that gets angry, and when I get angry, all my sense of like wit goes away. Right. So like, so I'm in these moments that are causing me like stress and sadness, uh -huh. and I can't write about it because it shuts down my creative functions. Really? Yeah. I don't think it's physically possible to shut down the creative functions of Daniel DeRozier. It is. Just get me sad and anxious right away. <laughs> and like, I can't, I can't, I, can't, I, I need, I need to have distance from it to like see it from an outside perspective to be able uh -huh. to make it funny. So it'll be a while. So it'll be, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and this is something I don't have any frame of reference for is like having to make things funny. That's not something that I understand. It's not something that I have ever had to do. Yeah. So I can't like, I can't. I can't know what that feels like. And you never will. No, I, don't, I never I will. Just, I just wanted to whisper something. That was way. good. Um. Yeah. Uh, dude, did I sound like an asshole? I feel like no. I feel. I feel like I'm like grilling you, which is weird. But it, it's because like I love you and I know what you're capable of and I want you to reach it and I. I see. I see that. I see it in you and I just want it to happen. No, I know, but nobody can get me there on their time frame. It's got to be on yeah, mine. Totally. Like, totally. Uh, I just, I just hope that, like, as your friend, maybe I can ask a question that will move that timeline I'll, along. I'll, I'll toss, I'll, I'll toss you a small nugget. 
Um, so town hall. Yeah. As you know, we've been, this is our last one. Uh, I saw that today. I was going to ask you about sort that. Sort of. It's not right. your last one. It's it's the last one at 1412, right? That's what I took from that. Right. Yeah. And uh, so we're doing the Hilarious Comedy Festival in August. Uh, that's Saturday, August 21st, I believe, at the Eclectic Theater. I'm just okay. going to plug in there. Do um, it. Plug the shit out the, of it. You can still buy tickets online. Look at the Hilarious Comedy Festival. Uh, H-I-G-H. Hilarious. Um, that's going to... That'll be our last show for a while. We don't know... Uh, Town Hall was reactionary to Tiny Baby. Right. Because Tiny Baby was so, like, scripted and uh, meticulously planned that I needed to do something that was the opposite. Right. And that's what Town Hall was. And it's just not... It's, it's, honestly, it's just not as satisfying. Right? I think, I've, I think... I think especially with, like, the show we did about, like, artists and abuse and then family and abuse, we're both really good. Uh, and I think we covered some really cool and important topics. Yeah. Um... But I think overall the show's been uneven. Uh, it's been ill prepared, and it goes. It's kind of like antithetical to like the way Dan and I work. Uh, it's like an enema. Yeah, it's, we're cleansing ourselves. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I it's it, part of that relevancy thing. It's I think it was an, it's an attempt to stay relevant while we figure out what we want to do next. And um, I uh, not sure if I am actually supposed to say anything now about it, but I'll I'll say something um <laughs> is that dan maddie and i are going to be the three of us co-writing uh, a new scripted show nice that we're probably going to do at scratch again awesome um what's the premise we don't know yet uh there there's some ideas that we we're talking about but i don't want to like i i, I don't I, you, you know me you see my outlines uh, my scripts and outlines <laughs> so if i said if i said something now it's probably gonna be completely different from that yeah um but yeah, it was both Maddie and Dan. We we did we did this comedy show together, uh, and Maddie and Dan were like, "Dan, can we talk to you for a second? And then I was like, "Yeah, okay." And they're like, "Uh, like we just we just need to talk to you for a second." You're like, "Uh, we want to stop doing town hall." And I was just like, "Yeah, okay, cool." They're really? Like, Wait, what? And there's like, and they're like, "We want to start doing a scripted comedy again." And I was like, "Yeah, sure, okay." So it was just <laughs> like, it was just like, uh, I think I just needed somebody to say it. You know, I think huh. I needed somebody to say that like town hall was done, and the the so so far the deal that we have for this new show is that we'll alternate months on who writes and directs. So like, awesome. One, one month I'll write and direct. Yeah. The next month Maddie will write and direct. Next month Dan will write and direct. See, there's a solution to this problem. This problem right. of you like wearing yourself raw. And that's and that's what I was saying. Like the only people I'd really trust with that are Maddie and Dan. And they were yeah. the people who were like, let's do this. And, and that's like, a great choice because Maddie and Dan are incredible. Like yeah. uh, the stuff that they're capable of is amazing. It's our it's it's our devil's comedy threesome. Yeah. Uh, like we, uh I I don't know, like uh Maddie Maddie Downs and Daniel Connell are like the only people I uh see myself working with for the foreseeable future because they're just Yeah. Uh, Maddie, Maddie was both Maddie and Dan were my one man show. Uh, yeah. More so, Maddie, like she was, and she was so funny. She was great, show. and she she had never really done a role like that. And I it, and like I I kind of got a sense that she never played a role like that. So I wanted to write something for her that she w- seemed like she'd done it a thousand times because she was so good at it. It's it, I wanted to write something that was out of her comfort zone. Yeah, because uh, I like I uh, like I, I like pushing myself. I like pushing other people, and because uh, I, I I know the people that I work with are capable. Yeah. Of more than maybe they think they are. 
I don't know, maybe that's egotistical. But uh, I, th- I thought Maddie was capable of doing this, like, really b- douchey bro role. And she was so fucking good at it. I she loved it. She was so good. Uh, Zima Beer Mug. I, like, I gave myself a high five when I came up with that name. <laughs> <laughs> Man. This has been, like, so much fun. Yeah, this, is, uh, this has been great. I've been... Yeah, we gotta do this all the time. I don't know why it's taken us a year to do like a one-on-one podcast. We, I don't know, we're busy. We're we, busy. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like that. I like standing better. This is good. Yeah, like, <laughs> you've been standing ever since we took a break. I know. And, uh, I'm really fidgety, so like this really helps. You've been standing and moving constantly. <laughs> <laughs> no, like bending to get drinks of water and wine, and yeah. we record our friend Zach's podcast, and the name of the podcast is "Losing Our Religion." It's uh-huh. super good. Uh, but he, he, I was just like in a swivel chair, just like, <laughs> I, and then he's got like the, the handles on the swivel chair, like go up and down. So I'm just like, <laughs> like adjusting the arms and like swiveling. <laughs> like I, 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 I sit all day, man. I, that's like my job now. Yeah. Uh, so being able to like stand up and move around is really nice. Yeah. Well, let's, I want to know what you were talking about before when you said you had to tell me off mic. So let's stop. <laughs> I, but, there's a couple things right that I didn't want to tell you. Um, yeah, um, I'm gonna make us some uh, some popcorn and let's chill for a bit. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, plugs? Can I do some plugs? Yeah, do some plugs. <sighs> um, yeah, I did all my comedy shows this month. I don't know. Oh, uh, I don't. I doubt this will air, but before Town Hall, but Town Hall was the thing. <laughs> this will be on next, hopefully next Tuesday, if I get my. Yeah, shit Town Hall's right. two days from. Or a day, uh, what is Thursday? It will not happen before. Um, what I was gonna. Uh, but you can see Town Hall at the Hilarious Comedy Festival on August twenty first at the Eclectic Theater. You could buy tickets there. Hilarious Comedy. I just look at the Hilarious Comedy Festival. It's a .org. I don't know the address. You can buy tickets. They're pretty cheap. Uh, that's going to be like a big blowout. It's going to be a really cool show because, spoiler alert, that shit's going to be scripted. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> that's gonna, uh, uh, yeah, we're going to do a scripted thing. Um, I'm releasing a new EP under his many colored fruit. Uh, it's going to be called Team Elastic Waistband or Female to Female. That's the whole title. Where did his many colored fruit come from? Uh, my friend Val and I uh, were at a Chinese restaurant talking about band names, uh, and we came up with his many colored fruit together. It means nothing. Awesome. There's no meaning behind it. It's just a cool sounding name. Fantastic. Uh, and I constantly want to change it because it has no meaning and because it, like it, uh, it was just like an aesthetically pleasing word, right? Yeah. So and that's it. Um, but you can. <laughs> Uh, you can find his many colored fruit on Bandcamp at his many colored fruit dot bandcamp dot com. Uh, I'm going to be releasing a single for it soon, and then the EP will come out sometime in the fall. You can find out more information about that on Facebook if you look up his many colored fruit on Facebook. Uh, I think it's all I got for plugs. Sweet. Are you on like uh, Twitter or anything you want us to follow? Nah. I mean, I am, but I don't do. I don't fucking use it. All right. <laughs> There's, uh, oh, oh, uh, one quick anecdote is that we have for Town Hall, our Twitter handle is at Town Hall Seattle. Yeah. Which is hilarious because Town Hall's Town Hall, like actual Town Hall, is at THS. <laughs> Why did they choose that? I don't know because we, like, Town Hall has been around much longer than we have. And somehow they're, they're probably just like, oh, they don't. And they probably just assumed it wasn't available. Yeah. Uh, so we get tagged in actual town hall events 
all the time. <laughs> and I started like I uh, when it first started happening, I start I was just like kind of like going along with it. Like somebody would post about a debate, and I'd be like, "Yeah, dog, that debate's gonna be off the chain." Like say so. <laughs> I say something, but it started happening so many times, and the debates were like, like it, it'd be like a, a talk on Black Lives Matter. I'm like, I'm not touching that. Yeah, I'm not making jokes, but like, but at the same time, I'm too much of a coward to be like, Ooh, this is the wrong one. <laughs> so I think now that we're done with Town Hall, I might actually try to sell at Town Hall Seattle to Town Hall. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Thank God. I'm, they got the money, and if they want to talk to me, uh, you can email me at townhallshowseattle at gmail.com. <laughs> um, well, let's wrap it up. What words of wisdom do you have for the sci-fi fans out there? Find what you love and let it kill you. Dude, look at you. You got words of wisdom ready to go. <laughs> and if you, uh, also, how strange it is to be anything at all. Um, no, but I don't know. Really, though, find what you love and let it kill you. I'm too much of a coward to let it kill me yet. I just need my whole life to fall apart. That else to come to art. Wow. Uh, See, I would say like find what you love and let it sustain you. No, it's gotta kill you. It's gotta kill. You gotta let it kill you, man. Interesting. It's, it's gotta be extreme. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then and then just like fade to my music here or something like that. I will. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. Bye, no, I, I I love you, dude. This is so I love much you too, fun, man. Yeah, I, this is great. I can't believe it took us a year to get to this, but um, we'll do it again soon. Cool. Oh, you know what you should do? You should do as like an audio thing because I really like all the audio stuff you do, especially like sci-fi and trial. Yeah. Um. At, at the end, at the end of this, like when I stop talking, can uh-huh. you can you just like like right now, just like slowly start fading in like firework sounds, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you just like even over your laughter, we just, there's just fireworks going on right now, and then and then and then we go to like a grand finale f- firework sound, and uh-huh. then right as we get to the grand finale of the fireworks, like I want to hear a bunch of like monkey noises, okay, uh, monkey noises, and. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then there's monkey noises and then I'm going who wants a banana who wants a banana and then we just like end the show